Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to, wait, what? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is waitwhatpodcast.com. Yesterday, on May 1st, 2021, Graham McMillan and I recorded episode 318, this very episode. And in it, we discussed the first issue of The Nice House on the Lake, Berserker Number 2, the forgotten 80s Wagner Grant Cam Kennedy series Outcasts, the Disney Must Pay movement, Robin Number 1, and much, much more. But today, while editing this episode, I learned of the passing of John Paul Leon at the way too young age of 49. Leon was known to all as a consummate comic book artist and illustrator, having mastered the craft at a shockingly young age, and had drawn Static, Earth X, The Wintermen, and so much more in his too brief time. The field is diminished by his passing, and all this episode was recorded before we knew of his passing. I could not bring myself to let it pass unacknowledged uh, without this second of silence. Okay, um, thank you. And now, on with our usual podcasting shenanigans. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan Howdy! How do yourself? How are you? And more importantly, how is technology, Jeff? You know, technology currently is behaving, but uh, you know that can all change on a dime. Uh, I think I think it's currently it's all right. We'll see. Little little bit of um, uh, uh, my computer misbehaving and then threatening to misbehave. But as far as I can tell, we're recording. I can hear you. You can hear me. You know, for now. Exactly. Dun, dun, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I I should say one nods. The reason I'm asking is there were technology or there was a threat of technology problems, I should say. That's right. That's right. Um I upgraded my Mac OS in part so that um because I was upgrading, the whole ecosystem is so insane. But thank goodness I can now unlock my phone without having to take off my uh, face mask, which is going to be exciting for the next uh, couple of weeks here. Um, Look at you, technology with the face facial recognition. I have a really weird technical question to ask. Sure. You, um, you have an iPad, right? Yes. Have you had any problems with Marvel Unlimited recently? Uh, oh, um, you know, it's funny that you mention it. A uh, friend of the podcast, Todd Allen, pointed this out. Maybe it was a week, two weeks ago. Um, he suddenly basically couldn't access his reading history. And then he had troubles where the books were, you know, you'd open it. and Well, or rather, he, long story short, I also had the same problems, which is I would go to read a book. It would start to load. It would never complete. I yes. ended up having. I, I have the same thing. Yeah, uh, you fully log out and log back in of the app. You don't have to delete it and reinstall it. Reinstall it. You just have to log out and log back in, and then it See, should work. You've done me a service, and you've done all the listeners who are suffering through the same thing. I'm sure there's some of them a service in telling me that because I honestly was like, so does this just not work anymore? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> stopped working yeah 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 um which is funny because i remember that happening with marvel unlimited it seemed like you know once every six months or so back when back when i first got it on the advice and i think in fact a free 30-day gift from our 
from the lovely and talented Matt Turrell. And uh, back then, you know, it was still just beginning to be more than hinky, uh, I think is the technical term. And yeah, back then it was like, delete the like delete the app reinstall the app re-log in then delete it then reinstall it and you're fine you know that kind of thing and so it's been years literally but um thank god todd said something so yeah let me let me yeah, make sure was you know does this just not work because that would that would be a problem well yeah absolutely although it's funny um todd uh, uh i Looking at my list of books, because I had I hadn't logged any of the books that I read for the month of for the entire month of April, which was insane. And um, let's see here, maybe it's under MU. Um, Damn it. He totally had told me about it, but of course, he and I exchanged just enough. Let's try that log. Just enough messages that you have absolutely no idea when he said it. Yeah, exactly. Just enough. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, da la 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 la. Yeah. Would nothing would load until I logged out and back in. So yeah, give that a give that a shot, and hopefully that'll do the trick. We can, you. but hope. Indeed, let's, indeed. Let's, let's see if I can do that now. Mm-hmm. Let's see if I can do it while. Yeah, while I can I'm edit off. this out, or maybe edit no, no, it twice as long. Let's try. Cause mm-hmm. If it if it works, then that's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's. Um, he he had his library entries from the last couple of weeks killed, but uh, he was he was more or less caught up. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talk among yourselves. Hello, hello, hello. I've got a, I've got a story that is not that is probably perfect for for this killing time sort of thing. Um, Please share. So, uh, my lovely and talented wife Edie, I realize that's just going to be that's how I'm pairing with every tonight's pairing is lovely and talented. My lovely and talented wife Edie, who really is lovely and talented, had a friend she, over. She's very much both of those things, yes. Exactly. They went for a walk while I I'll be honest, took a nap and I woke <laughs> up, they came back and they had found a baby bird on the path that had fallen well we, they suspect because there was no trees around in fact it was it was on a trail but nowhere near any trees or anything that maybe it had been carried by a cat and dropped um so and they're like oh we figured you'd know how to take care of it and i'm like no so looking things wait, up wait, and okay i'm not being sarcastic here why did they figure you'd be able to take care of it oh you know because i because I grew up on a farm, you know, like they're like, yeah, you were around a chicken once. You're always talking about what chicken, what assholes chickens are. You must know how to take care of birds. I'm like, no. I mean, part of me was like, okay, we got to keep it warm. We should probably incubate it, put it in an incubator of some kind. But let me look on Google. And fortunately, I found a page and it's like, don't try and take care of a bird yourself. Like, get it to a <laughs> wildlife rehab person. Yeah, yeah. They They were like... Go put it in a, you know, put it in a box with paper or something to keep it warm, cover it up, and then essentially, like, go put that thing right next to wherever you found it. Like, if it was a tree, like, literally hammer it up in the tree so that the parents could find the the baby. 
But because there was no tree nearby, it was the next stage. Anyway, long story short, Graham McMillan, part of my preparation for this evening's podcast was Edie and I driving like maniacs uh, 25 minutes to get to the SPCA before it closed so that their animal protection shelter people could could take care of this baby quail. So found out that's how we that's, found out it was a quail. That's lovely. I yeah. like that a lot. I, I thought it was going to be some really bad advice, like stick it in a bath, bathtub and then like stick a heat lamp on it, which is <laughs> how I feel like baby chicks are taken care of. Yeah, yeah. Wait, what? What are you saying? Put it in a bath? And put what? it in a bathtub. An uh-huh. empty bathtub. Oh, okay. Water. Good. Okay. Uh, and then put a heat lamp on it. The bathtub yeah. is to make sure it doesn't wander off. Right. The heat lamp is to make sure that they stay warm. Right. Right. No, I knew a variant of sort of shoebox with some stuff that it could nestle in and then yeah some sort of like heat lamp light bulb type thing and ever all of us like admittedly when we gave it to the nurse person who thank god answered the door she was like oh yeah no we'll put it in a little incubator get it some water a little mirror she was so like i'm glad you itself. didn't put it in a bathtub with some heat yeah lamp. she's <laughs> like don't thank god you didn't do it the scottish method uh yeah no it was totally a uh, um yeah no i mean there's other ways like all the internet stuff where it's like well can this chick you know like get it registered as an uber driver and start driving for you you know they didn't actually say that anywho uh so yes baby quail chick uh a hatchling um saved by my wife and some panicky uh driving um assistance from me i was gonna say saved by your wife and yourself jeff well and honestly Edie's friend who was the one who noticed it on the ground like Edie was like i was not paying any attention so definitely a team effort um but yeah go team saving folks i can also uh, announce that it, your workaround worked hey there we go congratulations really todd allen's so work but glad everyone to share. get yeah I, I a heartwarming story right they right. also got yes uh, a, a technical advice from you're you're delivering tonight. I, I guess so, which is terrific. I'm very glad because I suspect um, I don't know. We'll see, but it would not surprise me if the rest of this episode is you recounting the latest comic book horror story news, um, talking about whatever voluminous run of '80s comics that you just tore through. And um, and while I make nodding noises and and drooling sounds, so well, yeah. I actually have a question I want to ask. Oh, thank God! Which I is, always appreciate I, it when you come with questions. Cause I'm fairly like... sure that we in the past have talked about um, our frustration with new series, and I by this I mean like entirely new, like new concepts, uh-huh. where the first issue basically takes you to where the solicit has taken you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. The first mm-hmm. issue ends with, with like, you know, and here's the high concept. Right. But in reading the solicit for the thing, uh, you, you, you know the high concepts already because that's basically been selling the book. Yes. Um, has that ever made you not want to read solicits for books? Uh, I mean, I stopped reading solicits for books. So, I mean, I so think that's... things? Um, people talk about it on the Twitter vine. You, like, mention things, you know, like, things just sort of permeate up. I I, I mean, I log on to Comixology uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, First thing I do, of course, is check out the new manga selection. But then I go and do look at new releases and kind of scroll through things. 
Um, you know, so stuff like that. Like, uh, give me one second here. Um, friendly, uh, the the lovely and talented friend of the podcast. Uh, sorry, I want to make sure I've got the name fully. Um, boop, 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 boop. Wow, where is this? Da, 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 da. Boop, 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 boop. This is definitely an episode of you looking for messages. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> I know! I swear to God, I'm like, oh, this will be easy. This is my I, I, recent I, I reply. Will in, I, I will fill in time while, while you're looking by explaining the, the, the reason I'm asking. Um, yeah. I had the chance of uh, reading the first issue of The Nice House on the Lake, which is the new James Tynion Alvaro Bueno book. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... I knew it was coming, I knew it was a horror book, and I knew nothing else about it. Oh, that's good. And uh, it is an issue that ends with the high concept. Mm -hmm. But because I didn't know what the high concept was, it was a great ending. Mm. Like, it 100% worked in the way that that does not traditionally work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And... and I should say, like, I love the issue. I love the book a lot. Oh, uh, wow. Okay. genuinely one of the best-looking comics I've read in a really long time. Uh, Alvaro Martinez Bueno uh, does pencils and inks, and Jordi Belair does colors, and the two of them work together so fucking well. Mm. It's it's astonishing. It is such a beautiful mm. comic. It mm-hmm. is, it, like, the artwork is, is it, all you could want and more. Mm-hmm. Really mm-hmm. Um, but also the high concept is nice. It mm. is very horror comic. It is very much a slow burn for this first issue, and you can kind of tell what is happening before it happens, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Sure. But the reveal of what is happening, in my eyes at least, is so well done. Yes. You're like, oh, you've definitely bought my attention for the second issue. Oh, well, that's great. Huh. You know, because again, you know what's coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's because it's 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 so it's so clearly. Uh, I don't know if it's telegraphed as much as what is happening is so suspicious, for a better way of putting it. Sure. They're like, well, this is fucked up. Right. I don't know what the flavor of fucked up is going to be. Right. But which I, I know think is, yes. which is horror. Like, I, I feel like more, I don't know about more, but I feel that horror fiction definitely has the... Dread is one of the things that works in its favor, right? Where you know the bad thing is coming or you yeah, know yeah. that there's something that's going to happen. And so there, there's a certain amount of the telegraphing is half the satisfaction in a way, you know? Yeah, and I mean, it, it, you know, it games, I, part of it is even the title of the comic, mm-hmm. like let you know to some extent what is mm-hmm. going on. Um, and the, the setup is very clearly like Tynion telegraphs it very well. Mm-hmm. It, its issue starts with a flash forward mm. back, and the narration, as soon as you go back, makes it very clear again what is going to happen without giving you the flavor of what is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so the dread really works. You do have enough information to go. You know, don't don't fucking do this. Right. Don't fucking do this. This is not good. Mm-hmm. This is not going to end up well for you. You know, this this is a bad idea. Right. <laughs> Just don't fucking don't. Now, Which I think is works in a, a certain level of horror. But again, 
I, and I've not even looked for the solicit for this issue, mm-hmm. but I just feel that again, going into not having any knowledge of it beyond I like these two creators as is, and it's a horror book, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. made all of the anticipation, made all of the dread, made all of the the reveal, right? So much more impactful, yeah. So much more impactful, and I just had this feeling of I think if I knew more about this book, that I wouldn't have been a fraction of as enjoyable. Oh, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. You know, I think I think there's a lot to be said about walking in cold. It's just it's so hard. It's it's hard it's to do. Hard. Like yeah, yeah. It's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I you mean, know, you basically have to go in blind or or go in. I mean, it's it. My experience is skewed. Like I got sent this as a preview, mm-hmm. right? But I still went into it as I like Tinyan. Mm-hmm. I, I like Bueno. Right? That this I'm right. probably going to like this book. Yeah. You know, and it's especially for like new creators, you can't sell on, you know, who we are. Right. Exactly. Because <laughs> we'll you don't. You genre, yeah. But we won't tell you anything else. Yeah. Yep. No, exactly. And I mean, I think that's as we've seen, like everyone complains about the movies that, you know, give away the whole story. And I think part of the part of the way that a lot of Hollywood blockbuster movies now are structured is essentially you've got to have a a big twist at each act so that when someone's watching the trailer you can give them the premise then the twist then the show them on the stuff so they're like oh shit like you know and then you've got to have the additional twist you don't show in the trailer so they don't see it coming so they're like you know what I mean so they get the full experience but it's and I don't think that is um, – I think that may well be to modern movies' detriments because, you know, at a certain point you know the rhythms both from the trailer from the movie. When you're watching it, you're like, oh, okay, and then it's going to dot, dot, and dot, dot. It's one of the things – because as far as I'm aware, The Nice House and Lake has been optioned for something, but I might be misremembering. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the idea of the trailer, if there was a trailer – Part of me thinks that any of the build-up from this first issue mm-hmm. would be ideal. Mm-hmm. Because, again, there is that feeling of dread and that feeling of what is happening is on the surface so mundane, but also just off enough right? that right. you don't really need to show what's coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, not because what's coming is disappointing. I, again, the reveal in the first issue, I think, is actually really well handled. Really well handled. Um but because you get enough of the just creepiness mm-hmm. of it, that you're just like, oh, okay, oh, right. okay, fine. Right. Absolutely. Oh, shit. There was, uh, I remember seeing a trailer for uh, Get Out. Um, and one of the things that's really great about that trailer is, of course, because it is sort of uh, everything is wrong, everything is wrong, what's wrong here, you know, things are wrong, people aren't acting right kind of deal. And uh, right towards the end of the trailer, there's a moment where our protagonist is confronted by a ghostly skeleton creature. And, you know, it's kind of a jump moment. Blah! And you're like, oh, uh, okay, so it's a scary deer movie? And, of course, the genius of it was 
that it's <laughs> yeah i mean not only is it not but that scene isn't in the movie he shot a dream sequence with with the with the quote-unquote creature and the the guys who did the trailer put it in there and i think both you know everyone jordan peele and the trailer makers were aware you gotta have something that's gotta have like a a scary monster jump yeah. sequence yeah. especially because this is not what that movie is and so it's kind of to me it was great because it's also for me like if you gave it a second thought like i'm like oh okay i bet i know where why that's in there both in terms of the it serves a story purpose you know of course horror movies are, are notorious for the dream sequence freak out to to kind of keep people in their seats you know, from getting restless while you build yeah, exactly. toward your when, thing. When you're doing this low build, you need something to make people go, no, which, you know, the first issue of, of Nice House and Lake, mm-hmm. the first page, rather, of Nice House and Lake does. Like, it oh. starts with the, the, the future mm-hmm. thing where you're like, okay, like, literally shit has already gone wrong, and you get the visual cues that shit has gone wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, it, nice. it's not just uh, someone being like, well, shit went bad. Like, there are visual cues that shit has gone wrong in, again, a way that doesn't give anything away, mm-hmm. but gives enough away that something is not right. Right, right. You know, and then it flashes back. And so, you, but you get that thing at the very start where it's like, okay, stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't this isn't really a book about a bunch of people getting together at a house in the lake. Mm-hmm. Like, I know it's going to be like that, but it's not. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, I mean, it is. It's, I... I'm not going to spoil anything. Yeah, I'm no, you're not. Graham McMillan, your whole thing of like, oh, everyone going in cold. Okay, but having said that, you do have to spoil one thing for me, which is yes. the last page twist where like or no, I take it back. The thing where you're like, oh, they've made the don't do this like you're yelling at them like don't do this. Don't. Oh no, it, the, the 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 don't do this is literally the circumstances of the main character getting invited to the house. Oh, I see. Okay, so Where about you're just that. Like, you're just like, that's just like, you know, again, I understand the mechanics of the story. I understand the genre. Right. I understand the feeling of dread. Uh, for that matter, I understand, like, this is a character in their 20s where you make dumb decisions. Right. Right. But I'm also like, just fucking don't. This is not going to end well. Exactly, exactly. So I just wanted to check, and 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 let me know no, if this is too much as, spoilers. Wait, yeah, wait. It is. Is it buying Star Wars digital trades on sale at Comixology for super cheap? Because let me tell you, that's what did me in. It is actually. So ah, okay. Part out of the podcast, you've just given it away. Uh, sorry, sorry, everyone. I really thought that that was a long shot. I did not think that that was going to pay off for us, but it, but it clearly did. It clearly did. Okay, well, that's that's alarming. But I have to say, I feel even more compelled. Um, you know, I'm like, hey, wait, maybe there is a good horror story in that well i mean there's certainly a horror story for the people who were counting <laughs> so, so, on getting royalties from it but i so suppose what you're we'll saying is oh well jeff this <laughs> 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 must pay yes hashtag uh, we okay so we should probably talk about this i i've i've talked to you about this, this yes week. you blew my mind the, with it yeah disney must pay thing um People may or may – because we've talked about it in the podcast before. In November of last year, 
uh, it came out that Alan Dean Foster was not receiving any royalties from Disney uh, for his alien work. That's um, right. And, and ever since Disney had bought Fox. Yeah. Right? And so this started a campaign that was called Disney Must Pay, basically to get Alan Dean Foster paid. So the good news, Alan Dean Foster got paid. Oh, did he? Yes. Wow. The bad news <laughs> is that in pressuring Disney on this, it came mm-hmm. out that he was not alone. Mm-hmm. And in fact, a shit ton of creators have not received royalties from Disney and Disney-owned companies. Right. Uh, to the point where the the campaign Disney Must Pay, which was launched in November, resurfaced just this, I think this past week, maybe it was the week before, April 28th, so it's this past week. Um, and it resurfaced because the science fiction writer and fancy writers of America formed something called the Disney Must Pay Joint Task Force with the Authors Guild, the Horror Writers Association, the National Writers Union, Novelists Incorporated, and the Romance Writers of America, oh, and Sisters of Crime, mm. um, in order to identify authors who are owed money by Disney and help them get the money. Mm. The statement from the, S- the SFWA announcing this uh, listed the following companies and properties that they have already identified. Lucasfilm for Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Mm. Boom Comics for licensed comics including Vampire the Buffy Flair. Dark Horse uh, Comics. Sorry, you, you, sorry, keep going. You, you flubbed it. You reversed that. Just so that you know, did I say Vampire the Buffy Slayer? You said Vampire the Buffy Slayer, which That's is even awesome. Better. Yeah, completely. <laughs> uh, Dark Horse Comics for licensed comics, including Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Twenty mm. Century Fox for Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Alien, etc. MGM for Stargate, Marvel Worldwide for Spider Man and Predator, Disney Worldwide Publishing for Buffy and Angel. Wow, there's there's a lot to unpack there. Mm-hmm. A lot, not least of which, Dark Horse and MGM are not owned by Dark, by Disney. Mm-hmm. So. I'm not quite sure why they're on the list. I do have a theory, at least in one point, it, is the you for said Dark Horse, sure, but yeah. MGM and Stargate? That has no Disney affiliation. Uh no. So yeah. What like I don't I don't get why that's on the list. But I'm I'm digging into this with I don't like we'll have an answer very soon. Um but if that isn't enough, uh we should point out that the the statement, the release from the SFWA specifically said Fox had licensed the comic rights to Buffy the Vampire Slayer to Dark Horse. After Disney purchased Fox, they withdrew those rights from Dark Horse and granted them to Boom Comics. When one Buffy author contacted Boom about missing royalties, they were told that royalties don't transfer. That's verbatim from the statement. Mm -hmm. What the living shit. Yeah, no fuck. No fucking shit. Like... Uh, yeah, there, there's like there is a lot of people. There's among among the many things to to sort of excavate here. It's worth pointing out that the comic rights changed from Dark Horse to Boom before Disney hit bought Fox. Really? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. It was it was right. when it was in process, mm-hmm. but it was before it closed. Right. Got it. Right, because because Boom launched Buffy in October 2018. Right. And you know the Fox deal only closed in. What, right. Last year, it, it's more of a it's a thing where it was when Boom was quote unquote semi acquired by Fox, 
rather than when Fox was acquired by Disney. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes, because Boom has been part owned by Fox since 2017. Right. So this this is Fox self dealing before Disney got involved. Although it should be pointed out that I, unless my timeline is entirely off, and I don't think it is, there were at least negotiations going on between Disney and Fox at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Fox, I think there might be a Fox MGM Stargate connection, but I'm not. I wouldn't swear on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fox obviously has a connection with Dark Horse, mm-hmm. and so maybe that's where it's coming in. But surely Dark Horse would be the ones owing the royalties, not Disney. Like again, the the tangled logic there is is odd. But Lucasfilm Boom. 20th Century Fox, Marvel Worldwide, and Disney Worldwide Publishing mm-hmm. are all seemingly withholding royalties. Uh, I looked into Marvel Worldwide, it turns out, is the parent company of Marvel Comics. Oh, is it? Yes. Oh. It goes Marvel Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Marvel Ent- owns Marvel Worldwide. Marvel Worldwide is all the publishing entities inside Marvel. Mm. Wow. Marvel Worldwide is a company inside Marvel Entertainment that owns Marvel Comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, just in case that didn't seem complicated enough to you. Yeah, because it's probably like the little walled garden they shoved Ike Perlmutter in, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Maybe. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, so that's what Marvel Worldwide is in this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's a whole thing. So, you know, A... Alan Dean Foster paid. Great. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like a shit ton of other people aren't. Yeah, no shit. No uh, shit. And so this is so yeah. So they they launched this Disney Must Pay sort of second wave this past week. Yeah. And the second wave has two purposes: one, to shame Disney into doing something, and two, to identify who is even owed money. Right. Because uh, you know. This is not something that people are publicly talking about. Right. You know, this is not something that people will want to talk about because you would get blacklisted by Disney. And that's a big deal now. Yeah, completely. Because Disney owns a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it not owns Marvel outright. It does part own Boom. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, that's it, if you work in comics, you don't want to get Disney shitting on you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, or interesting to me, one of the people who is publicly identified as being part of the task force is Neil Gaiman, who in theory is working with Marvel to finish Miracle Man. So, you know, A, is Miracle Man so on the back burner that it's not impacted by this? B, is Miracle Man actually dead? C, if Gaiman has the relationship with Marvel that honestly I thought he did like could he not do something behind the scenes instead of doing this or is he doing both yeah I would suspect that he's doing both you know I can't imagine this is going to make his relationship with Marvel particularly comfortable I don't think I mean I think I don't think he cares per se yeah I mean honestly at this point he he doesn't need to right yeah right you know I think I think that's very much in the forefront of his mind, but he also is, one would say, like, at least as the stories got told, he was pretty instrumental in getting, you know, Marvel Man to Marvel and getting, or Miracle Man to Marvel, and getting Alan Moore to sort of reconcile and to get the Captain Britain reprints. So it may very well be that he's 
Also, I would say that Gaiman has a lot of experience with comics and comics publishers and has a sense of how the marketplace is without uh without without being of the yeah yeah just you know you just shut up and and cut your check and here's a big tip make sure that instead of getting your antibiotics through the pharmacy you go to pet stores and get the get the antibiotics for your pets and use those it's much cheaper you know <laughs> i mean gaiman gaiman has uh an interesting relationship in terms of like comics publishing uh by which i mean his relationship with with Doug mcfarlane and where that went like you may or may not remember marvel man ended up at marvel as a result of a lawsuit between gaiman yeah and farlan right over right. angela Mm-hmm. as much as it was over Miracle Man, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That lawsuit was in part funded by Marvel. Right. Wow. Um, so, you know, and of course Marvel gets Angela out of it. Right. Marvel right. got the copyright of Angela out of that. Remember? Yes. Um, so, That's right. They actually own Angela. So again, like, the, Gaiman has an odd relationship with Marvel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But one that I don't know. There's something about him being on the task force where I'm like, either things have gone very south, or right. you know, he has tried to to say something and it didn't work out. Well, or maybe they, you know, somebody reached out to him like, "Hey, you're a comic author," and he's like, "Sure," and they like slap the name on the task force. Like, I don't know how how long this thing has been going on, how long he's been working I, on it, I, but. I will I will tell you that I'm working on this for THR, mm-hmm. uh, and I know that I'm supposed to be talking to Gaiman this week about it. Right. So I don't think it's as simple as him just lending his name and not caring. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I guess what I mean is is that it's still that it might still be early days in the committee. Like again, like Gaiman, you know, Gaiman has has um, if nothing else had his, his work adapted. At Dark Horse, he's worked with Marvel. Oh, you mean is he owed money? Is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. Sorry, sorry. I just, I just mean that in terms of getting someone on the task force who has working relationships with some, at least some of the actors, uh, at least at the comics level, uh, Gaiman, Gaiman would be like a really good pick. You know what I mean? Like, and he's also, he's also a, a guy who, if, you know, is, I, I haven't, I don't pay attention to him, but, you know, there was certainly a period there where, uh, you know, he had a very prominent social media presence and was very good at drawing people's attention to causes. So, you know, I, I would think his, as long as he's doing it, for quote unquote the right reasons, which you would have to say, you know, like sticking up for the writers, which is what you would assume that that yeah, yeah. you you know that he's a very valuable person to have on that task force and and could be, you know, I'm sure there's probably other people in those various organizations, like I don't know, someone like probably Max Island Collins. You know, uh, who who has worked across a, a bunch of different publishers for a various period of time, but but you know, Gaiman really does have 
the prestige and can bring a lot of attention and clout to things, which I think is yeah. definitely what you want when you're trying to convince people to do the right thing, you know? So, yeah. Um, but yeah, pretty scary and creepy. And the whole thing of like, also j- just the fact that it's only Spider-Man and Predator, which is like, I can understand well, Predator. Men- yeah. Yeah. The Spider-Man mention is so strange. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right? Like yeah. Marvel worldwide is refusing to pay royalties for people on Spider-Man projects. I've... Like what? I've... That, that, that is genuinely odd to me. Well, but see, I mean, that's the thing. I can't believe, like, either it's just one of those weird pernicious things. Like, you know how, um, what's his name? David Morell, who wrote uh, First Blood, the book that Rambo was based on. He was doing some work for Marvel. He did a Captain America miniseries. Yeah, yeah. Might have done a Spider-Man miniseries. Like, I can see somebody that is almost entirely an author who does a special one-off project for um, Marvel being told that he, you know, misunderstanding royalties or not like whatever happened, happened basically and being upset and going and complaining. Uh, But I can't imagine that, for example, Dan Slott, Nick Spencer, John Romita, you know, John Romita Jr. Like, like an entire, like everyone attached to Spider-Man is not getting paid royalties, you know, it, and if Marvel's going to do that, but the people working on, like, say, Captain America and, you know, uh, Champions and Uncanny X-Men, you know, are still getting theirs. You know what I mean? Like, it seems so strangely specific that I'm like, what's the what's the particular angle there? Unless it's, you know, something god-awfully horrific where, you know, Steve Ditko's family is trying to get royalties for stuff and they're like, hey... Ditko never bothered us for royalties. We don't. We don't owe you anything. You know that kind oh, of thing. Oh God, that would be, that would be simultaneously unfortunate and completely believable. Right. Right. So part of me is like, as long as it's not Steve Ditko's family trying to figure out why they're not getting paid, you know, it's kind of terrifying that I'm like, yeah, it's it's either the creator co-creator of Spider Man's uh, family. Or, you know, it's somebody who just doesn't work in the comics medium whatsoever and therefore doesn't know how bad the contracts actually are these days. I don't know. I don't know. I'll be I I can't I I really want to find out that information because Yeah, and I suspect that's the information that is never gonna get out, to be perfectly yeah. honest. Because I, again, I'm sure. Yeah. Like why why would you go public? You know, oh, that's not true. There's obvious reasons to go public, but well, sure. there are multiple reasons that the multiple ways in which that could harm your your career. Well, that I can understand why people are, do not want to go public. Yeah, I mean, and it depends. Again, that's part of my thing of like someone like David Morrell, like it's frustrating, it's embarrassing, but he's like, eh, you know what I mean? He's like, I teach, I write books, you know, that this is not my major source of income. It's kind of unfortunate. I was hoping that it would be a nice little revenue stream, but, you know, whatever. You know, as opposed to, again, like part of me is like, yeah, I can't I can't imagine the dance lot. Like they just said, like, sorry, buddy. We're just, eh, 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 nope, eh. Yeah, yeah. Eh. We'll see. I, I'm the one thing I'm curious about i'm not really curious i I guess i'm I'm too cynical to be curious is are people going to 
boycott or have some sort of response to this, right? Right. If you know, if you know that Lucasfilm and Boom and Marvel are not paying royalties, mm-hmm. you know, are people going to walk away? I mean, the real answer is, of course, they're not. Well, let's put it you this know, way, like, Graham. What date did you tell me about this? Uh, I want to say I told you about this. Let's see. I can even check. Now, I am going to check messages. Yes. Um, I told you about this on Thursday. Okay. Uh, shoot. Thursday is the 29th, right? Thursday so, is the 29th. Yeah. yeah the 28th is because I literally had that moment of You're like. like 28th is when I bought all those Marvel comics. It totally is. It's totally when I bought $20 worth of Star Wars Omnibuy. Which at at rock bottom prices, and I'm like, oh, oh, Jeff, no, you didn't do that. Like, you know, like well, shake but, okay. your head in the morning and click the buy button in the evening. But you know, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. I, I guess that's what I was going to ask. Like, you, we talked about this earlier this week. You were suitably appalled. Yeah. Is, is it going to stop you buying a Marvel comic? Well. I mean, yeah. I how do I put it? Yes, although maybe not immediately slash automatically. Um, but yeah, I I definitely think so. Like, hmm, I it. How would I put it? I guess that for me, I would be. Far less likely. That's why I was a little appalled by the Star Wars stuff. If it's stuff that is being um, that that people are being specifically once we find out the scope of things, if it is reprinted Star Wars material, I would not be buying reprint Star Wars material. Now, technically, it would be more far more efficient and efficacious as far as a boycott goes to boycott everything at Marvel until these people don't get paid. And I would be willing to do that. But like, I think you may recall, there was that period where I was like, you know, I just, I'm not going to pay money to go see any Marvel movie. And I'm not, you know, it's kind of like, I'm not buying Marvel comics because of, you know, Jack Kirby's family. And I just don't feel right. And then, then they got paid and I'm like, okay, woo. But you know, Marvel still has done so many shitty things, you know, <laughs> since then, before then. Yes. So, and and this is this is incredibly shitty. Like I the scope of the shittiness of it is like I would have to figure out a way to, you know, boycott Disney, um Disney everything, which I mean on the one hand, I don't have kids, so it's not impossible, but I'm I'm like does that mean that I write him a letter telling him I'm not watching any ABC shows? I mean, you know, and again, I'm sort of in that weird, like I'm, I'm a hermit kook, but to return to your, to return to your question, I think that it is, it's not an immediate gimme, but I'm leaning in the possibly probably kind of situation. I would like it if it picked up heat. And so it wasn't just me like, depriving myself but i mean let me tell you i'm part of me is like you know that list of people that you said are participating like fuck the writers guild of america if they are not involved in this you know what i mean like the screen writers guild uh and the writers guild of america are huge and they 
their people, you know, who are the people who, if their members, you know, basically don't sell their stuff, like that can seriously impact Disney, Fox, all of these actors. You know what I mean? Like, and much so. So part of me is like, yeah, I mean, I would and I might, but I'm kind of like, I'm, you know, I would, I would probably do what most people do, which is not change my behavior, but scream about it a lot on social media for a while in the hopes that people who actually really do have a lot more heft, you know, are going to be saying like, oh, okay. But, you know, so Scott Rudin, you, I think, I don't remember if we talked about this in our last podcast, but there was the story out about Scott Rudin, who has just been an incredibly huge piece of shit as far as the way that he treats his employees. He's a successful producer um, of films and uh, Broadway productions. He's moved into Broadway. But literally just about everyone who I respect in Hollywood has worked with Rudin. Like, Rudin's got great taste. He can get prestige projects made. So, like... You know, a perfect example is like No Country for Old Men, Coen Brothers movie, one of my absolute faves. He produced that. You know, he's just, he's the guy that talented, that people of talent and taste work with to make talented and tasteful productions that I dig. So the whole, like, he's a huge piece of shit and kind of not in the jerking off into a plant Harvey Weinstein kind of way, but in terms of being a horrible bully that in the case, you know, that probably, so, so yes. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I was going to say to, to put this in context for people who haven't been paying attention, the THR story that sort of quote unquote broke this. Yeah. Um, the first thing to talk about is uh, Rudin like smashing a, a computer monitor on his assistant's hand yeah. for failing to get him a seat on a flight. Yeah, yeah. Right? The guy was hospitalized because he did, his assistant didn't get him a seat on a flight. Yeah, yeah. He's just he's just. And I mean, and the thing that's kind of weird is well, so so essentially, I think I mentioned Michael, and I by say I think I mentioned if we did talk about this a few weeks ago, Michael Shaban had a statement. Because he's worked with Rudin. Rudin, I think, produced Wonder Boys, among other things. And, you know, and he's like, yeah, I feel horrible about this. And it's interesting how much Shaban very artfully runs the gamut from I didn't know to I started working with Rudin when I was like 24 years old. And so I just assumed that this was the way things were done kind of thing. Like, it was like. So you, yeah, this, this is normal. This is right. This, I is, guess normal. this is just what Hollywood's like. Yeah. yeah, and there there is an extent to which that is true that people are not willing to own up for. But so one of the things that breaks my heart is all these amazingly talented people and people like a classic example, Francis McDormand. You know, making a point to stand up and talk about the importance of of writer clauses to make sure that that you know that people are being hired in equal numbers on the crews and productions you know taking the time to say something of that 
the majority of the talent has not said anything about Scott Bruton. They're just not condemning it. They're not addressing it. They're being quiet and they're hoping that it goes away. Sort of the same way that so many people either just flat out fucking lied and said they didn't know about the Harvey, you know, Weinstein stuff or, you know, unless they were one of the people that was being jerked off on, they didn't say anything when all this stuff came out, you know, and it all of which is to say, like, one Francis McDormand uh, talking about Scott Rudin equals, you know, 40 or 50 or 60, you know, uh, office assistants that were, you know, harassed to the point of PTSD, you know, and yeah. so the flip side of it is part of me is like, hey, you and I both know that this isn't going to happen, but, you know, Brian Bendis, Dan Slott, any number of guys on social media who um, could make a stand and say something publicly about this would carry a lot more weight. Of course, they're putting themselves their possible incomes more at risk, but you know, it's that weird 50, 50. I mean, especially for someone like slot who has never, as far as I know, had anything, any career outside of the big two of note. Like, I don't know that, you know what I mean? Like whatever you can say about Brian Bendis and God knows now that we're, in year nine or 10 of this podcast, chances are good. I've said it, you know, he does have his original creations that he owns, publishes, you know, and in theory could make, make a go of, you know, he's still got the powers TV show in a way that Dan Slott's got like nothing. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> if he turns around and he pisses off, like he could be doing Geiger plus for image, you know, in a month. And that's just, it's not going to be the same thing for him. So, so all of which is to say, Graham, yeah, this is horrible, but I would really, and I will boycott if I have to, by which I mean, uh, not, you know, I don't know if that means canceling the subscriptions and the pre-orders that I have, um, or just not buying anything new or how that's going to work. I mean, that's the thing. I'm like, part of me is like, I'm kind of in that weird, like, well, I, you know, re-upped Marvel Unlimited for a year, so I'm never getting yeah, that money yeah. back, you know? You and me both, I'm like, well, I, I paid for that, like, a few months ago, so I guess I got Marvel Unlimited for quite a while. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, they won't give me a refund of it, so they're going to keep my money, so I guess I can keep reading without giving them more money. But, but yeah, no, it's it's all it's all a weird, screwy, um, you know, it's it's funny. There's the, did you see that story about the insane overinflation of Pokemon trading cards and how it's warping CGC and the other collectible market graders? I did see it, but I know it's out there. Yeah, so I read that uh, on, you know, through a link on Twitter the other day. And it's insane, but it's also crazy that it's, 
you know, th- this person was like lining this stuff out and being like, okay, hold on to your horses because here's where it gets weird. And they're talking about things like CGC, which we know about, you know, the idea is they grade a card and the how it gets graded, especially if it's a 10, means many more multiples of value for the cards. So I didn't realize, but apparently... During this pandemic, people started digging into their closets and suddenly Pokemon cards are a huge area of speculation. And it's kind of like comics were sort of like, I don't know, back in the 90s for, you know, people realizing like, oh, I had all these as a kid and I didn't, you know, in many cases they're in shit shape. But in some cases they're in fabulous shape and I can make a lot of money if I can just get them graded and sold. And the problem, of course, is these companies, like the numbers are staggering. Like they are literally, these grading houses tripled their employee base and are still hiring, cannot hire people fast enough because the backup to get these cards graded and back to them is so long and people are so flipped out and irate that it's taking so long. Anyway, all of which is to say, I'm like, it's, <sighs> I'm like, everything is turning in all biz, all entertainment businesses are turning into comics, which is, you know, the statement that I said in a much more charming way that Jert Kobeck was kind enough to transcribe and throw in his book, you know, and, uh, <sighs> Graham, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. <laughs> the, the, yeah. the, the, the response to that is just, I'm, I'm just done. I'm tired. Yeah. You know, I'm just, part of me is like, there, there's just the, like, my God, how hard, it, it's so hard to wrap your brain around the amount of ridiculous exploitation. You know, at the core of uh, like at the core of every industry, basically. I mean, here we are, we're recording this on May Day. So it's a fine time for me to break out my, you know, pinko stripe and and show it, you know, uh, openly. But it's like, I mean, yeah, fucking capitalism, man. It's the, the exploitation of the workers is horrific. And if you don't manage to form things like unions and guilds and collective bargaining, like the big machine just steamrolls over the little person. Um, To bring this back to comics in a comic content sort of way, I should mention, and I hope that it is still the case, um, that the first volume of Demon Slayer uh, Kimitsu no Yaiba is available to read for free. Um, which is to say, if you go to, I think it's still free on Comixology. Anywhere where you get digital comics, Viz has made the first volume free, in part because there is an anime, animated movie coming out or is maybe out this weekend that is a big deal. Demon Slayer is big. Um, And I don't recall if I told you, Graham, and or the podcasting audience, but about eh, two, three months ago, um, I got a a text message from basically Edie's sister-in-law asking if we knew about 
the manga, this manga, Demon Slayer, because my niece June reads it and adores it and loves it and wanted a figurine of one of the characters. So I have had this horrible thing of like, my niece is now in her manga phase and she's not reading the same things that I am or we're not seeing them at the same time. And I say manga, but she's that's one where she's so in love with the anime that she's willing to read the manga volumes to get ahead. And she wanted yeah. the one of the figurines. And anyway, so I started reading this volume and I'm like, it's grim as shit. Like, I mean, apart from the fact that it's rated, you know, T T for teens because of the violence, it's literally the first three volumes, the three three chapters of it, it's just un it's just ridiculously bleak shit. Like it the first it has a lot of compare it's a weird um a companion piece to Chainsaw Man because it's got a lot of the same setup, which is, you know, a hapless human stuck in a miserable existence ends up having to fight demons. Um, and But then the contours go very differently. And Chainsaw Man goes into like kind of a delightfully viciously anarchistic approach to it you know and demon slayer currently is of the yeah we're going to train you to beat demons but you know in order to beat a demon you have to you have to be as hard as a demon and you got to live life as poorly as a demon and you got to smell like a demon you know that I, don't know, that I made that last part up but it's it's grim as shit, but it literally in the early, like the very first chapter, like the the hapless hero gets chided by the other demon hunters for trusting strangers or being kind or, and it sort of makes sense because of course it's one of those, it's kind of, you know, it's, there's there's nothing in here that doesn't really feel like junior high lone wolf and cub so far you know what i mean sure like but but it's still pretty like i'm kind of like is my 12 year old niece is reading this you know and yeah, it was yeah. kind of like when she and her younger sister who's only nine were sort of chirpily talking about who their favorite character in death note was and i'm like whoa 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 you're what like i actually alarmed their parents by like being like a gog that they had watched um death note the anime and um they were like, "Is is that bad?" I'm like, yeah, "Don't sure, worry, is that not good." You're yeah, like, exactly. Uh... <laughs> Damage is already done. I wouldn't worry. I mean, you know, like we'll just have to see. Like, if they turn out to be sociopaths that believe that what they're doing is is on the course of quote unquote justice, you know, outside of the realms of society and culture because they're inherently corrupt, you know. You'll know where it came from. It didn't come from Uncle Jeff. I want to say Uncle Jeff wanted him to read Wonder Woman, you know. <laughs> so, so all of which is to say, what was my point? Oh, right, was just exploitation of the weak. Like, part of me is like, well, you know, like that. That was the other part. Is I found myself being like, shit, should my niece be reading this? And I'm like, well, but is she? Is it? I mean. 
there's there's kind of a needle that you have to thread, I think, in your dealings with human beings, to me, which is I, I came from come from a family that that uh was instilled with a deep um like almost a supernatural ability to catastrophize and perhaps understandably since my dad grew up as a very small child during the uh, depths of the the great depression his view of humanity was relatively bleak but he hid it by being super friendly and jovial for all the time essentially except when he was alone with his kids and there's a there's a little bit of the i never accepted his worldview that essentially yeah you know uh make sure that you know if you turn your back on someone for too long they'll essentially just you know they'll 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 put a knife in it and then they'll piss in the wound Mm -hmm. kind of thing i don't believe that but i do also believe that you know, corporations, which are just conglomerations of people, really, there's no, there's never anything that's not a human being there that's making any kind of decisions, you know, are actively horribly screwing people to the, to the point of, you know, in the case of one of Scott Rudin's assistants, like committing suicide, or, you know, in the case of, Foxconn employees, you know, throwing themselves off of roofs or Japanese workers dying from overwork, as we used to see back in like, I think the 90s. It's, 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 it's amazing how much the, um, the more we try to escape from that grim sort of picture, or at least I do, the more I end up running into things that running to um industries that 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 are themselves similarly exploitative and that is that is just it's such a it like you said it gets old uh, it you get tired you get tired of it so um yeah Graham so there I go I managed to weave in May Day manga um obviously my ongoing struggle with at least light depression uh and scott rudin and disney all into into one go i think i think we're i think we're good it was it was skillfully done and i i i want to pivot off of what you just said in like a completely uh facile way just honestly to be contrarian as much as to be like i don't (laughs) know how we can continue to go down that road let's do something entirely different i want to say that it was uh five or more years ago that uh, I had I read a forgotten DC Comics miniseries from 1987 called Outcasts. Uh, it is unlikely that you remember me talking about this, Jeff. It's no, it's true. I don't. I sort of vaguely remember the series, but I don't I, remember you talking I, about I it. I bought. I bought this. Uh, I bought all twelve issues of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like honestly it might be like as many as six or seven years ago uh and i read one issue of it and then i just didn't continue uh for whatever reason and eventually those issues disappeared somewhere Mm -hmm. and i i have recently regained those issues and jeff let me tell you why i searched for them again and let me tell you why i'm so excited about them (laughs) 
1987, clearly buoyed by the the success of Watchmen, DC committed to a lot of different miniseries. Right. Uh, publishing miniseries that that are outside of their mainline continuity. And so you get things that honestly had no chance of being another Watchmen. Right. right. Completely. You things like Splash Marauds or Sonic Disruptor. Yeah. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. You also get Outcasts, yeah. Jeff. Outcasts written by John Wagner and Alan Grant. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Run by Sam Kennedy, mm-hmm. which I am delighted to tell you upon reading now, is nothing less than Wagner Grant ripping themselves off <laughs> and X-Men. Wow. And coming up with a story that, like, three issues in, I was like, this is fucking amazing. This is, I mean, genuinely bonkers. It's Wagner Grant at their peak mm. writing something that is at once saying something and at once utter trash. <laughs> Um, one of the characters is essentially a Mean Machine ripoff um, called BD Rickenbacker. And BD stands for Bobo D, except everyone else thinks that BD stands for brain damage. <laughs> and he's like, I ain't got no brain damage. I see like headbutts people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely <laughs> Mean Machine. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and he's a cyborg as well, like Mean Machine. Uh, and you get Shock, who has lightning powers. And Wyatt, I can't remember Wyatt's last name, but Wyatt can't be killed at all. Um, and they're 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 fighting for mutant rights, so there's some strontium dog in there. Uh, it's it's I mean it's it's great, it's trashy, it's it's in many cases wonderful, especially because it is even for American comics in the the mid to late eighties, mm-hmm. it's astonishingly cynical about the role of corporations. Wow. Um, I mean, cynical to the point where only 2000 AD writers could could take it. <laughs> uh, uh, there, there's the. It's also very Blade Runner in a weird way. The the setup to begin with is mutants are so unpopular they're being shipped off worlds to work in off world colonies, right? And there are of course mutants on Earth who are fighting back against this. Or like this is segregation. This is terrible. Um, you know this is bigotry. And that's that's like the setup of the first like you know three issues or so, right. and they're like, oh, we've got to find out what's the deal with these off-world colonies because one of the characters is like, I've been off-world, and every time I've been to an off-world colony, there's robots, mm. so they're just shipping them off to kill them, mm-hmm. right? That that's what they're doing. That that they're they're there's no off-world colony. They're taking them away and they're killing them. Right. You know we must stop this, and like part of me wants to spoil it because it's a it's a you know. 25-year-old series, 35-year-old series. Right. Uh, so, you know, why why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, do you mind if I spoil it for you? No, go for it. Go for it, yeah. So they're half right. They are killing the men. Mm. They're keeping the woman alive as breeding stock because they, they are taking babies and then genetically modifying them so they produce a particular chemical that will be extracted to create a drug to keep rich people young. And then the babies will get killed after two weeks. Wow. Like, so, you know, it's dark. Yeah. Yeah. That is revealed by like issue four. 
Wow. At which point there's then like an uprising that is destroyed, like decimated. The uprising fails. Oh my god. Okay, this does sound like Wagner and Grant in that sense. Uh, and then the remaining like six issues are just like wacky as shit. Oh no. It's a 12 issue miniseries. By issue like seven, they've essentially gotten rid of the main characters of the series and bring in replacement characters. Oh god. Um and then kind of kind of bring back the main character. The guy who can't die mm-hmm. um is uh, <laughs> this sounds ridiculous and also so Wagner Grant it hurts is aged to the point where his body withers and collapses, but he's still not dead. So B.D. Rickenbacker carries him around in a bucket <laughs> and talks to him. But he can't talk back because his body's withered and died. Oh. Like he's also dead. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's genuinely amazing. It's genuinely amazing they're uh the bad guys are like the corporate owners and the mayor of the city the city's got big city which is also kind of great it's like th- there are touches that are just like incredibly like on granty in here yeah um but there's also like the the enforcers for on a better way of putting it who are called the satan brothers <laughs> what yeah uh. and they've got like an alien dog called spot Jesus God. It's it's absolutely I mean it's genuinely insane. Mm-hmm. Because again, the first third you're like, I know where this story's going. I, and I had this thought of like I how are they gonna keep it going for twelve issues? Because Wagner Grant are many things, but you know uh sort of detail earns is enough to actually have a twelve issue story that wraps up in twelve issues. Doesn't feel like them. And of course it doesn't <laughs> get halfway through the series. And they're just like you're clearly freewheeling it. Oh no! They're clearly just like we have no fucking idea what we're doing next. But For a twelve-issue series, oh my it's, god! What's amazing is um, it's it's so trade. I mean, it's so clearly trading on like Wagner Grant as two thousand AD creators that the subtitle on each cover is you know how you say like twelve-issue miniseries. Yes, it says twelve-issue future shocker. Oh no! Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> huh. It's absolutely, it's such a weird series. It's such a weird series. It's sadly completely copyright and trademark DC, so it'll never get reprinted. Because otherwise, like, if Wagner Grant owned it, I could 100% see uh, Rebellion doing something with it down the line. Yeah, part of me is like, so they, so this was post-Watchmen, but they didn't give them, you know, it. Uh, the, the Watchmen, even the Watchmen deal was supposed to, like, be like, oh, you'll get the rights when this goes out of print. Like I maybe did, but I mean, Watchmen still officially is trademark and copyright DC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like well, I'm literally just yeah. from the from the Disha, you know. Right. Yeah. 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 No, I'm just saying, like, like I, you have to think that Wagner and Grant could be like, hey, you guys said we'd get the rights back um, after you know this went out of print and it's been out of print for 30 years and and DC, yeah and dc's <laughs> like well i have to admit we do not want this but you know sure why not like you know i i don't know i doubt they would do that but that's um that's so that's so insane like there's something where i'm like well but of course you know like wagner and grant the take the money and run brothers um, but you know, but also being like, Hey, but maybe we can pull it off. Well, 
you know, you win some, you lose some, you know. Like Yeah, it's it's such I mean it's such a crazy series. It's such a crazy Jesus series. God. That it's it's so it is at once, you know, the ultimate why can I grant. Mm-hmm. And also uh I can't believe the subprints. Well, I mean which, which is that in itself. It's kind of the ideal why can I grant. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean there there is a little bit of that having having i i hadn't uh logged my reading since basically the next to last the the last week in march so i was like oh jesus so i before we before i got on this call i was like going through and i take screenshots of everything i read and that's how i'm able to reconstruct this list and i was going through it and i just got to the bogeyman bo- you know bogeyman Return to Casablanca, and I was like, and "You're like, what the fuck is this?" I yeah, kinda. No, I didn't forget about it, but I was like, like just seeing the pages, I was like, I can't believe Graham and Chloe made me read this. I really fucking can't. like, you know. On the one hand, I'm it, it was an experience that is unlike any, almost any other. But at the same time, I'm just like, dear God. And so that, that, yeah. that's appropriate. Dear yeah. God, I think is an entirely appropriate response. Right, right, exactly. And that's kind of that Wagner Grant thing is, is there are times where they, you know, they're willing to walk the tightrope without a safety net. And there's times when it works, where it works gloriously, you know? Well, I mean, that's part of their, their appeal, question mark it, it I, I'm not thinking it's actually, I think it is part of their appeal part of the appeal is Wagner Grant in their prime and by that I mean like basically their 1980s output um we're producing so much that it allowed for this weird unfiltered thing where right. you would get pieces of genius that you wouldn't have gotten if they'd had the time for the second draft they, yeah they never would have gotten there yeah and you also get things that are shall we say flawed mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and, and that can come in multiple shapes and combinations right. right you can get some of the just i mean genuinely racist as shit things they're doing oh yeah you can get things just don't go anywhere you can get things like outcasts where you know th- there's so much to appreciate about that comic there's so much to appreciate about that comic but you're also very clear that at some point they're just tap dancing because they're like we have no fucking idea what we're doing. Right, this month. right. They're just vamping, and I think to return to your point at the at the start of the show, it's a little bit like the the satisfaction that you get from not knowing what you're going to get. Like you know what I mean. Like sometimes there's something where even if it's we were talking a little bit of like, well, you know, you knew Tinian or that idea of like, yeah, you pick up a book by an author, but like if the authors, the creators themselves are kind of uneven and you don't necessarily know where you're going to end up, like sometimes it just ends up in the quagmire, but sometimes you just hit you, the you just hit the sublime heights. Like I was talking to someone uh, via email who was reading uh volume five of the dread case files and they're like yeah i'm on the early part but 
you know, this is block mania and it comes, you know, then it turns into the apocalypse war. And he's kind of like, yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's, this is probably Wagner and Grant at their, at their early peak or whatever. And I was like, yeah. And I said, but, oh my God, when you're reading it, if you don't know that Block Mania comes into Apocalypse War, which they already did know, you know what I mean? Like, whether yeah. I don't remember if they followed us on the podcast or it's just, they're just one of those people they who knows. Something just find out. Yeah. yeah. So, but it's it's one of those things of like, man, when you don't know that that's coming, it's, you know, and I think that that's one of the things that is great about, to me, is Wagner and Grant when what looks like just their typical, you know, kazoo and soft shoe vamping on a street corner for a couple of drinks at the pint at the pub turns into, you know, Beethoven's ninth. You're just like, whoa, whoa, what the what the hell happened there? You know, it's so um energizing. Like I, I sometimes yeah, no, think, no, but yeah. and, and that's mm-hmm. it, I feel like it's a risk worth taking, right? Exactly. You know, if, if there's if there's something to if to return to some theme in this, I think one of the themes should be like it's kind of great, right? Right. When 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 you you gamble a stamp, Jeff, or you gamble your time, right? And you do get this thing where you're just like, oh, this was fucking great, right? Exactly. And even sometimes when it's not great, like sometimes you get stuff like there's always going to be a special place in my heart uh, for Prez, the first issue of Prez. You know what I mean? Nothing is going to be able to fit it, top it, you know, like it's I, I kind of think of it and OMAC, as, the first issue of OMAC is sort of weird split world cousins you know in the sense of what joe simon and jerry grandietti doing in prez was not good but it was you you were amazed that you were reading it and omac number one of course to me is so good you can't believe that you're reading it you know and each each book more or less couldn't really recreate that first high you know yeah yeah and and you know i think there's a lot there are many things and maybe this is me like romanticizing a period i wasn't really around for but you can say that for a lot of like the weirder things of the 70s mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where they they just seem to come out of nowhere you know yeah. so i'm thinking again of, of like even kirby's thing about danger from danger street mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like feels so completely uh unexpected or 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 um like it's come whole cloth out of nowhere, right? Right. You know that it's not an obvious. It doesn't have an obvious persker in. Yeah, in, there's no real antecedents you can point to per se. You know. Yeah. Um, and and you know, Jeff, we're old farts. Like <laughs> it's not that it's not that often you can see you can see that in comics now. Well, I mean, hmm. I, on the one hand, I'm inclined to agree, although I think that has more to do with a variety a variety of factors you know we uh, uh, that was what a what a lousy landing that was that among other things there is a certain amount of the people that there's 
the comics are successful enough that you can succeed at comics. Back when you couldn't really success at comics in comics, more or less just meant continuing to work in comics. Like you got sort of you could get weird shit that was in a way the writers entertaining themselves or telling themselves stories or even, you know, cranking it out or challenging themselves, but doing things that they were going to do more or less because it amused them. Even if that was the the kind of like, you know, with Wagner and Grant, like, hey, you know what? I'm kind of tired of this boat. What if we just crash it into the reef? Yeah, sure. You know, yeah, and yeah. you just are not going to see that in, I think, there's so many comics that are out there that I don't read or see. And every once in a while, I'll pick something up and we'll be like, oh, my God, this is bad. I mean, you know, but there could be diamonds in the rough out there. Most of them are probably half formed. Like, it's very hard to find something Kind of like uh, when I told you about reading President Werewolf, right? Which I'm like, yeah, yeah. hard to beat. And then you read it and you're like, that's nah, kind of dull. And, you know, among other things, they were doing a variety of things, which uh, part of it, like I appreciated the fact that they were honestly trying to tell a serious story about President Werewolf, but they were also telling a boring story about President Werewolf, which is the kind of mistake that people make depending on where they are in their careers and et cetera, et cetera. All of which is to say as a way of sort of flipping this back in last night, I read the first two volumes of die, die, die by uh, Robert Kirkman, Chris Burnham and Scott Gimple and uh, Gimple, I guess as the plotting assist. Um, and uh, you know, that was a book that I had picked up the first issue of and was kind of excited to see like, oh, you know, Kirkman wanted, it really felt like Kirkman really was excited by working with Chris Burnham and seeing just kind of what a lunatic Burnham is as a storyteller, like, you know, and it's, it's interesting how much it is and isn't a comic like i read it it's funny it starts off as an over-the-top spy adventure about identical triplet assassins and by the time you get to issue nine or ten it's really cooking because you've got president obama like in a boxing match to protect earth you know which he had every president has to do every term apparently and it gives them the chance to have Burnham do an amazing uh, pastiche on the Superman versus Muhammad Ali cover. Um, just a, a lot of, a lot of really fun stuff, but it's also really fun in an entirely predictable way. Like even when it gets unpredictable. And one thing that I have to say that is shocking to me, and I guess it shouldn't be, I feel like it's one of those things where like, Part of me wants to press it into Chloe's hands because she, you know, talks about her shame of reading and enjoying and loving Battle Pope. And Die, Die, Die is, is I, I was like, oh, God, Kirkman can actually be funny. It helps when he's got someone like Chris, you know, Burnham, who's really fucking funny as an illustrator. Like, you know, they're kind of going over the top together. 
but how do I put it? Like, but it's also, it's also entirely planned. You know what I mean? Like, it's entirely, like, even when they're like, oh, we're going to do this, or oh, we're going to build for that. Like, it's fun seeing them ramp up, but even as they ramp up to get to a place where you wouldn't have expected them to go in the first three issues, it's still in the same vein. Like, and you're never going to get, like, one of the solemn Wagner Grant stories in the middle of it. You know what I mean? Like, there's just sort of a, I don't know, it's, like there's like comics for so many people i feel like comics are almost too valuable to really fuck around in and and or the flip side is is that you and i as old farts i mean i certainly am not willing like every once in a while i'll dip my toe into and pick up a comicsology submit comic that I'm like oh I like that cover oh I like that description or you know like oh this this is a comic about you know a nurse who's a vampire and you know her boobs are guns I will give that a shot you know and usually it's in fact that's probably the title I will give that a shot uh anyway uh (laughs) I'm going to say, I don't know if you made that up or if that's a real thing, but if you made that up, I feel like you should do something with that idea. <laughs> I, I I hate to say it, but I think I really did make that up. Uh, anyway, uh, so, you know, there, that shit may be out there, but I'm just not like, I, it's hopefully there's the younger generation that are, you know, rifling through those long boxes and you know or looking through the digital stuff or buying the things on Gumroad you know like for me I'm definitely more the going for the pre-vetted craziness of something like manga where being from a different culture with different associations like you know and or at different levels of whatever you can get stuff that just feels weird as fucking hell to you like i read the first volume of boss wife this week which i did buy because it was called boss wife um and it is a a manga about a woman who uh meets her old high school crush and they end up marrying uh after an ideal dream date but she finds out that he is uh, a Yakuza boss. Um, and so now she has gone from being sort of a quiet, regular, ordinary Japanese uh, young woman who is struggling to make her way in the world as an artist and, and basically has all these picayune problems to, you know, her husband being like an, not an evil gangster, but involved with evil gangsters. And, but it's basically also a romance comic where there's a lot of smooching and a lot of the little um, manga screen tones in the back to show the explosion of passions, you know, uh, in little pentelated dots. It's, I was reading it and I'm like, wow, this is kind of one of the things that's charming about it is to me, it's kind of crazy and yet it's also utterly generic. You know, in a, in a weird way, it's kind of that weird, for me, factor of Prez number one, where Joe Simon and Jerry Grandietti are like, yeah, this is what the kids want. 
This this is how you this is how you successfully pander to youth movement, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Hello, fellow kids. Right. Exactly. How how do fellow teenagers? You know, it, it's it's a it's it's a complete you know. So so boss wife feels like completely mental, but it's probably just you know an average strip. Like it's probably you know it got collected, but I mean, so it, was, it had to make it through some popularity poll. And I mean, it's basically a romance comic where, you know, where of course the Yakuza tough guy is the world's sweetest, most tender guy in the world. And it's just somehow every other Yakuza guy who's kind of a douche. Um, but, you know, I, uh, so yeah, I guess what I'm saying is, is like, part of me wants to say, don't worry, Graham, like the weirdness is still out there. We're just too old to look for it. And or don't worry, Graham, the weirdness is still out there. It's just it's being done by people who who, you know, anyone with any modicum of talent is busy trying to sell out because there's the actual possibility of making a profit by doing so now. I don't know if that makes me feel better or not. That last one. (laughs) No, exactly. It's kind of depressing. But I mean, that's. That's Jeff Lester on brand TM. So, <laughs> oh, Jeff, what what else have you been reading this week? Like, I've been reading Outcast. Yeah. I've been reading a lot of Dreads Still, I'm still working through all the all the past Dreads. Um, and I've read a bunch of stuff that's coming out in a couple of weeks that I can't. I obviously can't talk about. Uh, yes. I haven't done as much reading as I would like, um, and in fact, I will talk about that in a bit, because I was like, hmm, I think I mentioned I started reading Demon Slayer, Kimitsu no Yuiba. Um wait, where am I? Oh, right. Uh, I had read, um, I finished up that first, those first three volumes of Case Closed, and I, I quite like it. Like, part of me as I was reading it is like, am I, am I... Am I an idiot? And uh, and I think we'll return to that. I think, but that's that's one that's an evergreen topic, isn't it? Um, but I think that's one where rather than buying digital versions, now that the public library is you know allowing you to check out books and go pick them up and stuff, I think I might see how far I get through that. Uh, in one of our um, in one of the threads over at waitwhatpodcast.com, Miguel Corti talks about. Uh, the question that you were wondering about um, and also mentions kind of how Silver Age, uh, how much more Silver Age superhero in a way this mystery uh, series gets. But I enjoyed that. I read Friend of the Devil, a reckless book um, by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. As you may recall, I really hugely enjoyed Reckless, the first volume. They're trying to do it where they I think they're doing three or four of these i think um, i think it was th- they announced three initially but yeah then it was a big the first one was a big hit so yes i suspect we'll see many more of them i hope so i hope so i assume they want that to have that sell. reckless was great friend of the devil is is very good and simultaneously not as good because it's, you know, it's a series, you know, they're trying to do it in sort of that paperback hero series. And the first volume, Reckless, is great because it is more or less telling the origin story of the hero. 
the second story is him helping someone and getting in over his head and things turning bad and wrong. And while that is fine, there was less of a, oh, here's a specific reason why he's here and making it worse. You know what I mean? Sure. Like yeah. It, yeah. it falls a little bit more on having the exact characters and the same tone as Reckless. And I, I enjoyed it quite a lot, but I was also really aware that even though I enjoyed it, it wasn't quite as good. So, um, so yeah, to, to watch out for that. Uh, I think it was great. Mentioned the first two volumes of Die, Die, Die. I read Berserker issue number two, the Keanu Reeves, Matt Kent, Ron Garney comic. Uh, mm-hmm. First issue was, again, really surprisingly great. Just some fantastic Ron Garney storytelling. Issue two is um, is a real letdown. Because it's like, oh, here's this character's incredibly um, boring and obvious origin story told at tedious length. And that kind of sucks. Like, it's sort of, it just is dull. The only thing that is exciting is at one point you actually get to see lightning strike a woman's uterus. Um, and I mean her uterus. Like, it's suddenly, like, suddenly you're like, oh, why why am I looking at fallopian tubes being lit up by lightning? Huh, I, huh. So apart from that, just kind of like, Okay, I'm 90% sure that that's Matt Kent, but I would be so thrilled if, like, Keanu Reeves was earnestly telling everyone about how excited he was to have the scene in which, basically, you know, his character is born by the woman being impregnated by some kind of lightning being, and you're going to see the lightning, like, hit the fallopian tubes, like... Like, I really hope that that is, like... Wouldn't it be weird? Like, we're always like, oh, Ken Reeves, like, oh, you know, you never see him really with someone. You hear stories like, you know, he had a girlfriend and then that she passed away. Or, like, you see so-and-so or, you know, there's all the rumors that he might be gay or whatever. It'd be amazing if it was just, like, he had such an extreme fallopian tube lightning fetish that he just really... He's like, I can't... <laughs> I can't really date anyone. Like I just can't. Like have they been struck by lightning? They haven't, so it's it's a problem. Right, right, exactly. Like, you know, I am Ken Reeves, I'm not a monster. I'm well aware that no one is going to want to have sexual intercourse with me via the form of me watching via X ray machine as their fallopian tubes are hit by lightning. But you know, I can't wait to channel this into my award-winning comic, Berserker. So that was amazing. Like, I literally had one of those moments where I wanted to go on Twitter and yell at people for not telling me about uh, about Lightning Uterus. <laughs> I really was. I was like, what's wrong with you monsters? Like, hopefully it's not like... I mean, who knows? Like, again, Grandma, I'm old and out of touch. Like, is Lightning Fallopian tube play? Like, that's not like a thing now is it the best part was i was going to make some sort of joke about that's what the kids were doing all on and i was like i don't know what the what the platform is these days <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. Oh, no. and this that's, is how we realized we all. were out of touch uh i loved savage avengers issue 20 which is conan and the rhino more or less beating the crap out of spider-man that was great 
Like well, Savage. Why is Conan beating the, the shit out of Spider Man? Well, it makes a lot of sense in a way that so so Conan has uh come to the 21st century. He is currently in New York. At a certain part, he started drinking at the No Name Bar, which is the rundown bar inhabited by supervillains, which makes sense. He's comfortable with them. They're comfortable with him, etc. He's there drinking, and more or less, the No Name Bar needs a big score to be able to pay off the cops and continue to operate, and they've got to move to a new location because, of course, they're moving so often. The Rhino offers to do it, and Conan offers to help. So Conan, and because Conan's basically like, yeah, I mean, you know, New York, this is just one big corrupt city, like, run by, you know, scummy uh, old men, essentially. So why shouldn't we rip off their coffers? Like, Conan was a thief. So it makes sense. He and Rhino rob a bank, and then in the course of it, Spider-Man shows up, and is like, oh, there's just so much that's good in it. It's let's see if I can find the the, the panels because it it has Conan being like, um, do 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 do. Uh, it's it's still Jerry Dugan, and this is uh, Patrick Zercher. Weirdly enough, Dugan weirdly enough, that makes sense. Exactly. It, well, and see, and that's it. So so. Um, you know, oh, so he sees Spider-Man and of course he's like, oh, you've got the perfect suit for a thief. Give it to me. And he starts ripping the clothes off of Spider-Man. And, you know, Spider-Man literally has to put webbing over his butt from the patch that gets ripped off. And he's like, my power doesn't come from my suit. It's part of me. And Conan says, unbelievable. And you've wasted volunteering as a sellsword to the corrupt gangsters who run this hungry and poor city. And I just love the fact that Conan can't see, like, he sees New York the way he sees any of the other cities from the Hyborian Age, which are, like, people are poor and downtrodden, and it's being run by a bunch of corrupt people, so why not steal from them? And so it literally gets to him in Spider-Man, where Spider-Man's like, you know, great power comes great responsibility, and he's like, no, with great power comes great riches. So it works. It It's really a surprisingly... One of the things that's been great about Savage Avengers, to me, starts slow, of course, is it's basically Marvel team-up starring Conan these days, you know, with a new guest star. Like, the previous issues were him and Deadpool and Nightflyer, like, trying to pull a raid, and I don't remember who else gets involved. But, But the whole, like... You know, oh, it's the strike force of Marvel's grimmest guys doing their grimmest, grimacing, and the grimmest situation yet. You know, robbing the shapes like, from grimace. You're like that. That's just that's just gone by the wayside. It really has, and so much to the story's benefit. It's very much like, oh, here's Conan. Like, let's have him have an adventure with Doctor Doom and Doctor Strange. Let's have him have an adventure with Deadpool. Let's have him and the Rhino beat the crap out of Spider-Man, you know, and Spider-Man at the end of it is like, I don't even know who that guy was, you know, like it's, it's really good. I I mean, like by really good, I mean, you know, it's what you would call fine. Or maybe if you were feeling less generous, it's fine. But for me, it's <laughs> Fine. You're like, it's everything I ever it's wanted. fine, Graham. That shit is 
fine, like velvet. Uh, Robin issue one, which as I started to say well over an hour ago, I found out because the lovely and talented George Johnston, who is a listener of the podcast, tweeted a couple of pictures of Robin reading manga, um, shoujo manga, uh, shoujo manga. And I was like, that's all I need to start reading this. So, uh, and it was fine. Like, you know, it's Josh Williamson, some great art by a guy whose first name I swear to God is Greb. Um, yes, it's it's something great. It's not like Greb Molotov or something crazy. Yeah, like yeah, it kind of is really close. I I pray to God it's Greb Molotov. Is that on the last page? It's not. Really, it, it's Greb it Mel- Melkinov or Melnikov. Greb Melnikov. Um, it which is the art was really good, and you know you like Williamson. There's the manga touch. There's a bunch of stuff. It's basically Robin getting involved in sort of a high concept, you know, like champions Mortal Kombat match. Uh, and it's got a surprise twist ending that I was like, oh, well, I didn't see that coming. I wonder how they're going to do issue two. Um, and but, but you know how they're going to do issue two. Do you? Do I? Yeah. They, like, they basically tell you in the comic. I mean, he lost the tournament, so why would he have access to the thing that would allow him to ha- be resurrected? Because of the name of the island. Uh, What's the name of the island? It's Lazarus Island. Oh, I'm yeah. just assuming that everyone who dies in the island comes back to life. Oh, that, so... it's, that it's not necessarily a Lazarus pit, per se, as much as oh, everyone it's a Lazarus come back. Island. Oh, okay. That, could, that would make sense. Okay. Whereas I was like, I thought the whole gist of it. So yeah, maybe they're misdirecting me. Anyway, fun little ending. I do sometimes wonder if Damian Wayne is kind of the Doctor Doom of DC Comics. You know, like... Oh, unpack that, seeing as we both like Doctor Doom. And yeah, I feel you didn't mean it as a compliment. Well, I don't know. I guess that I mean it. Or like, maybe you could say Submariner. Or like, there's just a number of characters that are incredibly popular supporting characters that people want to see in their own books and then they're put in their own books and they don't sell. You know what I mean? Because it's a little too much. Like, they're 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 like a spice. They shouldn't be the main meal. And I feel like everyone loves the spice enough that they always try and make it the main meal. You know what I mean? Yeah, and what's interesting is I think like Neymar, or for that matter, Doom, um, yeah, there are also characters that take over the books they're in. Yes, exactly. Intentionally or otherwise. Yep. Yeah. And, but when you put them in their own book, then they weirdly end up uh, foundering, floundering. Probably. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I, I think I think you're on to something there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I mean. I I I like that. I, I think you're on something. Okay. Good job. I wouldn't I wouldn't have thought that, and I think you're entirely right. Well, thank you. So uh, there's a few other things that I don't I don't have anything to say about Spider-Man Curse of the Man thing, unfortunately, other than, uh, and I don't think that anyone wants to necessarily hear about the porn with a plot that is World's End Harem Volume 10 or Parallel uh, Paradise Volume 5, or for that matter, the, what is it, From the New World volume six because i realized oh shit that's on sale through this 50 percent off thing for comiXology god i didn't even screenshot that that's how ashamed i am of that but for um comics that have plot and 
porn scenes, they're pretty okay. They're pretty okay. I feel like pretty okay is where you're at today. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I, I read stuff that I was, like, I mostly liked, but I can't necessarily say that I just flat out loved apart from sadly maybe savage avengers like don't get me wrong case closed i want to read more volumes of that i'm looking forward to reading the reckless book you know die 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 even boss wife even berserker those are all books that i would look forward to picking up and reading the next issue of even maybe robin when it hits dc unlimited but i'm not really like super enthused i'm not like oh my god this was fantastic you know like like yeah. friend of the devil sort of started that way and by the end i was like yeah it's it's good yeah it's it's like i like it so much it took me a few hours to realize i felt like it was missing something so that yeah, sort of yeah. thing yeah so so that's it that's those are all relative in case anyone's interested i think i i'm like the great thing is because I did all those pre-purchases, I assume, I don't know, you know, the weird part is I bought all of these damn Star Wars comics and I'm really curious how many of them I'll end up reading. Um, I, I, see, I was surprised when you told me about them all because I don't really think of you as a, as a very big, like, personally, I I felt when you told me that you bought them because they were a bargain as opposed to you really wanted to read Star Wars comics. Well, you know, I, uh, again, I think it was Todd Allen who cued me into, uh, what is it, Wild Stars? Gosh, why, why can't I get to the right Wild one? Space. Wild Space, which is basically a whole bunch of Star Wars odds and ends stuff, including the UK comics, pack-in comics, like you know the star wars 3d comic part of it really was the fact that it was it was 84 cents um for me it was 99 nine, the the for the star wars made the fourth be with you sale the the omnibuy are basically a dollar 99 uh, well 99 cents for volume one and then a dollar 99 for uh each additional volume and um that so i basically kind of just sort of flipped out like i was like oh yeah i'll just get i'll get all those a long time ago on the buy like i really enjoyed reading like i was feeling kind of nostalgic i kind of wanted to read like some like some 70s marvel again that i hadn't necessarily revisited and i'm like well yeah 70s through the 80s i could it's the whole marvel run there's the wild space stuff then basically I was kind of like, oh, and I did kind of want to read these manga things. And before I knew it, I had so much stuff that I was like, oh, whoa, 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 I got to roll this back. Like I picked up the first volume of classic Star Wars because for 84 cents, I'm like, it's Archie Gwynn scripting and it's Russ Manning drawing the shit out of Star Wars, you know, for the daily strips. Like part of me is like, that should be great, you know, but it, but at that moment, after, as soon as it was like, congratulations, you've made those purchases. I was just like, Jesus Christ, I just bought three versions of A New Hope. You know what I mean? Like, at least yeah. three versions. <laughs> what am I thinking? What's wrong with you, Jeff? You idiot! You know? Like, because like you said, I'm not really that much of a Star Wars fan. I do like a little bit of the weird curly cues. And, you know, I... 
I really have a fondness for pre-Empire Strikes Back Marvel comics, which is to say that that first three years or really two and a half yeah, years. Which, which are like genuinely wacky and wonderful as a result. Exactly. The, that, the period of Star Wars where they didn't know what Star Wars was yeah. is, is fascinating. Right, right. So I was like, yeah, I want to, I kind of want to dip into that. Uh, someone else was chiding me. Oh, because uh, in in the most Jeff-like maneuver, I had pre-ordered uh, Brother Voodoo Marvel Masterworks Volume 1, right? And I realized... so cute. Yeah, isn't it? But part of it is kind of like, because I hadn't really read any of those. And I, I'm at that moment where I'm like... Good on Marvel. I don't know that there's a lot of 70s Marvel left for them that, you know, that either I haven't seen or they haven't collected and gotten out into digital, you know. Um, so part of me is like, I'm a little, I'm a little desperate for it. God knows after reading like four volumes of that vampire tales, like all those horrible Morbius comics, I'm like, well, clearly I'm. Get, I'm scratching some sort of itch, even if that's like in the unhealthiest way possible. So, so I think there was a little bit of that where part of me was like, you know, after Return of the Jedi, like Marvel Star Wars comics, I also stopped reading. And there's got to be whole areas where they didn't necessarily know where to go with that either. And I, and you and I have gone and revisited that amazing sort of brief era with Simonson. And I was like, yeah, I'll give him a shot. Sure, why not? Like, again, like, even though I went crazy and I bought, like, ridiculous amounts of comics, like, the page count of, like, literally thousands of pages of Star Wars comics, it was still just barely a hair over 20 bucks. And part of me is like, so that's great. And I'm like, except part of me is, I, I know I'm not going to read this. Like, I was going to say, it's 20 bucks oh, for a thousand pages, great. But how many of those pages are you actually going to read? Right? One of the things that's been weird about me tracking my digital spending for something like two or three years now is I'm developing a real awareness of my patterns. And one of my patterns is the more books I buy on sale the lower the likelihood that any of them get read. You know, like if I buy, if I binge buy, I then more or less block up and don't read any of them. Whereas if I either buy stuff when it's new, like via subscription or whatever, I tend to read it relatively immediately with some certain exceptions. If I get behind on a certain thing per se to a certain amount, so, um, so yeah, there's, there's kind of that awareness of like, even as I was doing it, I was kind of like, uh, Jeff, you're being a dumbass. The other thing that's really funny is because I was keeping track by month, like up until the last 10 days of April, this was going to be my lowest month for comic purchases of the year. And I was like, that's great. And then I started getting cocky. I'm like, oh, okay, so I can totally afford to buy this. 
Like, even after all the 50% Marvel pre-purchases, some of which I pushed back to the month in which they got billed. But even if I hadn't, I was like, wow, I'm still looking at, like, next to nothing for prices. This is great. And then the next thing I knew, I'm suddenly like, Jesus. Like, you know, I really do want to read you know, some of these Star Wars volumes more than I want to read, say, the second issue of Geiger. But I'm probably going to read the second issue of Geiger because it's not nearly the amount of time and investment that that reading a Star Wars omnibus is. Like, I started started flipping through the Star Wars omnibus, the first one, a long time ago. And it's, you know, the Thomas Chaikin stuff, which I've read like three or four times, you know? And part of mm-hmm. me is like, oh, it's kind of interesting. Like, you know, the the great thing, quote unquote, great thing about that adaptation is depending on your um, where you're at in your brain space, you can be surprised by kind of how close to faithful it is or how absolutely missed the beam off the market is right like yeah and yeah. so there's a little bit of like in that sense it maybe supports like two or three readings but then after that so i'm just like i no i should i should just skip ahead and get to the you know seven samurai with godzilla's storyline and i'm like uh, i already read that i should skip past that i'm like but if you're already skipping that's like the first 10 issues why don't you just force yourself to read through it and anyway Graham, as much, as exciting as it would be to pay you for being my therapist and the rest of the readers, uh, listeners as well, I'll, I'll skip over the full diatribe. But needless to say, what ended up happening was I ended up closing that digital volume and then moving on to something that was a little more uh, uh, bite-sized and, and had less dilemmas to it. Like, it's very unlikely. But, but that, that, yeah. that, mm-hmm. that yes. is a problem with the big omnibus books, I think. I, I think you're right. Like, yeah. I, I think, especially digitally, weirdly enough, I think they can be really scary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you can have like, you know, well, I could, I could commit to, you know, go, I could commit to this, this digital volume, which is, you know, almost, uh, you know, Schrodinger's comic. Yes. You know, you read right. as much as you read and you can start wherever you start. Or I can read this one print issue of outcasts and then all of a sudden i've read like 12 issues in a row yeah right right yeah you know because it is it's like well this this is a smaller package that i understand mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and i do wish this is one of the things that goes on to drive me nuts is that comiXology still has like only three or four paths to move through what and how you read. You know what I mean? You've got your in progress, your recently downloaded, recently purchased, you know, unread, Comixology Unlimited borrows from Kindle, and then that's basically it. Two rows of, of things to buy that you can't buy in the app. You know, like at no point can you build a little reading list for yourself, which kind of makes it, Harder, Like, as much as I'm so relieved to be away from the 23 long boxes of comics sitting in a room, there's still, which is its own challenges, there's still, uh, if you have one long box of comics, you can kind of thumb through it, grab something, 
and just pull it out, right? Like, yeah, but yeah. I just re- I just read. Yes, but Comixology it doesn't it doesn't have a random read option. It doesn't let you build the list. If you go into your complete purchases, you can look at it from like A to Z or Z to A or the date that you bought newest or the date that you bought oldest. But you can't really find yourself being like. Oh yeah, I really want to see the books that were, you know, written by John Ostrander. Like, I mean, like maybe you can, but like the Comicsology search app, if I did that right now, it would take me into the nine million books on Comicsology, whether I own them or not. The thirty-six thousand books on Comicsology Unlimited, whether I have them checked out or not, and then maybe it's like a grab bag. And half the time, Comicsology's whole search thing is so terrible. Like you search on John Ostrander, and the first thing it shows you is thirty-six issues of the you know uh, Robbie Morrison Suicide Squad. You know, so it's. It's got its limitations, or rather, it's got its limitations for me, and it kind of bums me out because what I need to do is kind of come up with a steady morphine drip of comics to kind of keep me reading and interested and excited, Um, but that doesn't scratch my occasional, you know, gluttonous hoarder itch, which is also a weird part of my comic reading, buying, having enjoyment experience, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. I actually have that, that um, there's no easy way to just jump into something on like a Marvel Unlimited or DC Infinite. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, where mm-hmm. it's just like, I want to read something. Right. And they're like, okay, but you have to look for something. Right. You can continue what you have been reading or you have to actually decide what you want to read. Well, and sometimes you're just like, I want to. Or for me, at least, I'm like, I just, I just want to read something, something kind of like this last thing, right? But not that thing, right? There's and I, I no do, I, th- I think whoever works out those algorithms, yes, yeah, if they will... actually bother to put in algorithms, that would be amazing. You do know that Marvel Unlimited does have that random button up at the top left hand corner of the app, yes, and yeah. I, what I've actually started doing is looking at their um, events tab mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and just like randomly selecting things from the events tab. Right, right. Um, but, but I do, I wish there was somewhere you could be like, you know, I liked reading whatever. I liked reading Blue Devil. Yes, right. What's right. like Blue Devil, you guys? You know, yeah, I wish right. there was something like that. Yeah, I I agree. And they clearly are aware that it sh- they should have something like that. But of course, part of the... Part of the genius of the algorithm is they don't have someone sitting there being like, okay, you know, here's try this and this and this and this. You know what I mean? Like Netflix was able to create their admittedly not great, but still better than nothing kind of algorithms out of what everyone was watching and that it was baked in and it was tracking and and built off of a relatively strong database. You know what I mean? Like I'm just... Uh, half the way that half the credits are listed in Marvel Unlimited, it would not surprise me if I was like, I want a comic more like this. And it's like, oh, 
you know, you want a you want a comic that's edited by Nick Lowe? And I'm like, uh, no. And it's like, oh, you mean you want a book that's been colored by Brian Reber? And I'm like, I'm sure they're fine, but not really. You know what I mean? Like, they're like, oh, of course. Here's 15 books that have all been lettered by Ferran Delgado. Enjoy. You know? So, yeah, they need to have that worked out. And it's amazing to me. Like, it is. Like, Marvel Unlimited. Does it make them money? Like, they continue to do it. I continue to pay them from it. They've made hundreds of dollars off of me, you know, because I've had this subscription for, like, probably the better part of a decade by now. But, you know, but are they really, are they rolling in money? Or is it just kind of a, this is fine? You know what I mean? Like, they're clearly not putting the money into expanding it like the random button was pretty great but that's like one little thing that they've added you know what i mean like for the most part they add comics they make them readable you can store stuff in your library but they're still like yeah i mean yeah now you can get them three months before you know after they hit the stands isn't that what you really want and it seems like the majority of people are like yeah that's fine don't you yeah, that's just it. I, th- I think for a lot of people, that is what they want. Yeah, exactly. They don't care, care about the curation. They don't really care about the, the you know, they're like, uh, you know, I'm a comic fan. I know what I want. I want to be able to read The King in Black. Oh, God. I think I almost threw up in my mouth a little bit. Okay. Well, anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Jeff, we're almost at two hours. Oh, um, gosh. Yeah. I, I, I feel that we we should start wrapping things up. Whew. So this is what I need to tell everyone. Uh, there will be show notes for this episode up on com by the time you hear this because Jeff is on top of his shit. Uh, <laughs> there will be at some point an Instagram post up at instagram.com forward slash waywattpod. Completely forgot what our URL is, which is a sign that I've not signed in for a while. Yep. Uh, we have a Twitter account at waywattpodcast. Jeff has a Twitter account. Excuse me, like I... King of Black Syndrome. King of Black Syndrome. Oh, God. Is that what's happening? King yeah, it is. Donny mm-hmm. Cates, look what you've done. Jeff has a Twitter account. At least busted. <laughs> at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I have a Twitter account. At Graham M. At G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And we are a Patreon-supported podcast, which means Jeff does a little bit of talking like this. Yes. Hey, everyone. I'll keep it kind of brief just because, uh, I don't know, because I'm, I, I feel like I'm not, not especially on my A game, uh, particularly having trouble finding words. I, there's nothing like a semi-aphasic podcast, podcast host who also has poor diction to really keep you riveted to your seat for like two or three hours, which is part of why we appreciate you listeners for, you know, coming back. Um, uh, we hope you actually enjoy this experience. We do, and we've continued to do it, uh, for a very long time as a result. And it's given us, um, uh, a multitude of blessings, or at least it has for me. I also want to mention, for example, the people on Patreon who, in addition to listening and giving us their time and attention, also throw us a little bit of their hard earned dosh, which is fabulous and has inspired us to greatest heights. Perhaps some of you uh, have listened to Baxter Building, our rundown of the first 416 issues of the Fantastic Four. Or maybe you're listening to Drock, our current monthly read-through of Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files. Those are things that are both 
made possible by listeners like you, to borrow the uh, PBS term. We're incredibly... <laughs> is this NPR we're listening to? Oh, yeah, it kind of is, isn't it? It's like, join now and get a limited edition Wait What Ashtray, complete for judging other people who smoke because you don't you can tell i don't listen to npr anyway um so many people to thank thank you very much we should also give a shout out to empress audrey queen of the galaxy for her continuing support of this podcast i feel like there was an empress audrey related tidbit that i wanted to share with you guys cannot remember what it is now let's just assume we're grateful that she's still keeping us safe graham I'm desperately trying to think of an Empress Audrey punchline and I can't, and it's killing me. Killing me. <laughs> Instead, I'll say that we're back next week with a drop, and we're talking about Case Files 24? Question mark? I've actually lost track of the volume Oh, I thought we just fine. read 24. Yeah, you, you did, you're maybe. totally the one. Yeah, I think maybe we're on... Hold on. Do you want to... Let, let me see if I... Oh, wait, I should have this on my reading list. But of course, now my browser's not open. Uh, and we're doing Case Files 25 next week. Yay! I was sort of right. right. Yeah. Um, anyway, yes, that's next week. And uh, it's there's some, there's some good stuff in there. There is the second half of The Pit, which Ooh. Jeff and I are going to... Oh, man, very going to be great. great. You're yeah. like, I'm just getting excited again. Yeah, I did. Jeff. Hear that happened to Jeff, which was kind of thrilling. Um, until then, though, I'm going to say thank you very much for listening and bye!